All right. Hello, everyone. Once again, my name is Wiston, and I have for the third time my, my guest, Dave Collins. Um, Maybe we'll get it right this time. <laughs> we'll, Maybe we'll, we'll figure it out this time. We'll figure it out. Uh, I, I, I doubt it. We can we can gesture in that direction. Maybe there we go. <laughs> um, our our topics today are um, philosophical and scientific naturalism and interpreting contemplative experience within that frame. Um, and I'm especially interested to talk to Dave about this, uh, as Dave has been working on, um, I don't know for quite how long, uh, the, the genesis and origins of uh, Western philosophy in the contemplative approach of, of Socrates um, and Plato as well, I, I gather a bit. Right. I don't have uh, a whole lot of uh, training. Um, I'm working on a book uh, based off my dissertation many years ago, looking at cross-cultural parallels in contemplative traditions, different languages, uh, different cultures, but it's not too hard to find folks doing very similar procedures in different parts of the world um, and got interested in. So one of the one folks I'm focusing on is, is the anonymous Christian author of The Cloud of Unknowing, who is very influenced by um, what are ultimately neoplatonic currents in the West via negativa. I may have alluded before, a lot of fancy names for very basic, simple experiential processes. And so for myself, got interested in um, sort of the roots of that tradition, the neoplatonic flavor or current outlook in the West and ended up looking a lot at um, Socrates and, and currently Plato. And um, um, to be real brief, uh, how to my, I, I didn't realize what a deeply uh, religious person Socrates was, but in, in effect, in his own way, and in a culture that didn't have the word religion per se, um, but his practice of, of questioning our constructed ideas, he, in as, at least as Plato presents him, he did that sort of questioning to get at what's underneath mere concepts and more towards a lived experience um, at the uh, request of the God. <laughs> the God, Apollo, probably. Anyway, the, the Delphic Oracle, again, as Plato presents it, had uh, put Socrates on the path of looking to know what knowing is and realizing how much of what we presume to be knowing is more just words, things we make up, ideas. So I've been looking at that for myself. And uh, as a quick sidebar, a reason it's um, not so easy to... Um, get really well oriented to that material. Um, one is the basic one, Socrates didn't write anything himself. So everything is through an uh, interpretation or presentation, especially Plato, but also Xenophon and a little bit a uh, playwright, um, Aristophanes. But a further uh, difficulty is how much modernist presumption gets laid on to those fellas and what we tend to think 
of philosophy being projected back. And so there are some who are just uh, insistent on imposing our concepts of what philosophy is and what religion is. The word philosophy is getting negotiated. Uh, Plato is kind of making it up as he goes and gives some different definitions along the way. And, uh, and as I said before, they didn't have their word religion. But when we look at the actual practices, the kind of, and of course they didn't have the word psychology, but for those activities of questioning what's real and what's valuable at a level that's more immediate than a made up word, that's psychology. It's philosophy at its healthy heart. And it's what we call contemplative religiousness. In the end, and we can lead in now to some of the more empiric or naturalist, for me, it's, it's a very practical matter. How do these procedures work with the heart and mind that I'm uh, endowed with, that we all are, are born into? Thanks. Yeah, that's, that's a helpful orientation. And um, the second thread we intend to weave through the conversation is uh, I, we've, we've heard some about Dave's biography and Dave had some questions uh, about mine. So as it, as it seems relevant, I invite, I invite Dave to ask any questions. I, I guess I'll start off by saying that, you know, my interest in all of this is, is deeply personal and, and uh, very motivated <laughs> in uh, a, a pretty desperate desire to know what's true, what's, what's, what's meaningful, what's, what's valuable, you know, how, how, how should I live this life? Um, and I'm reminded uh, a favorite moment in the uh, uh, Talking Heads movie, uh, Stop Making Sense, the uh, uh, concert performance, which is a blast. But uh, at one point, David Byrne just looks at his hand and says, how do I work this? <laughs> How do I work this? That's uh, that's that's that says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> that's that's what it's about. What's going on? Uh, and uh, as as I think uh, we brought up last time we talked uh, in a somewhat different context, uh, this was all made uh, very 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 much more important uh, in the face of uh, severe depression that I experienced for uh, quite some time in in adolescence. And so coming out of that and during, during and coming out of that, um, it, it took on a, a kind of consuming urgency that kind of blocked out all of the rest of my life. And it hasn't really given it back. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess, again, speaking well, a little bit more to my, my interest in these things as, as yeah. a child, I was, you know, I uh, mentioned before, I'm the son of a priest and a psychotherapist. Uh, so I, I, I had contact with, uh, you didn't with stand a chance. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I had contact with, uh, a religious atmosphere and, uh, while I never, I don't actually ever remember having a sense of, of faith, uh, of, of Christian faith. Um, but I remember the sense of, of togetherness of, of wholeness singing and, uh, taking communion and the peacefulness of, of quiet in the, the vast space of a cathedral or, mm. or the just enjoying the, 
enjoying the warmth uh, and 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 friendship of of of, of people in a sacred space, uh, even if at that at the age at which I was still going to church, um, you know, none of that was attached to. Yes, I am a Christian. I believe in these things. Jesus seemed like a, a pretty pretty good guy uh, from everything I heard about him. So I thought, oh, yeah, good. Then. Yeah, this this seems like a good person to follow. Got some good advice. But that's uh, that was kind of the limit of my engagement while I was still going to church. And then, I guess, uh, sci- uh, standard scientific materialism kind of got its hooks into me at a certain point. Uh, I make it sound sinister. It's not. Um, <laughs> but the- Supportive hooks. Sure. Kind, <laughs> encouraging hooks. Uh, I, so I, I didn't have much much uh, explicit faith to begin with, but uh, the 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 ritual in the community, I guess, as I was uh, approaching adolescence, I think I stopped going to church when I was about eleven. Um, that uh, it didn't it didn't uh, didn't call to me in the same way, or at least in that in that form. Um, and I had bigger questions that I wasn't. Uh, receiving answers about in that context. Um, Let me interject. Um, A favorite teacher of mine was uh, a professor named Wilford Cantwell Smith. And uh, I very much um, resonated with a distinction he made. And you can use different words, but the way he used the words, faith was in effect an openness to experience an openness to what is most valuable in being alive. Belief was a conceptual and too often dogmatic, exclusionary mind and heart closing sort of deal. So as I hear you speak of your, um, your, 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 your experience growing up, uh, being um, available to or exposed to uh, religious activities, Um, that there were things you felt, there were connections you sensed and participated in. And that sounds to me, and a likely etymology of the word religion is reconnection, the lig, like ligament or ligature. Um, But that's what I'm reminded of, that distinction between something human and connected, potentially shared, potentially um, artistic Um, and then belief as something potentially yes or no, take it, leave it, choice, um, decision. Um, And then maybe a little gray area around some of the social um, patterns, some of the rituals. Those can either be kind of alienating and rote or they can be dances and uh, um, potlucks and where people get together and actually are human with one another. So um, what happens next? Where does your sense of uh, connection and or um, sobriety or, or, or um, I'm trying to throw in some words that will get us to naturalism and and science that you just alluded to getting connecting with what's real. What happens next for you? Sure. Uh, Just to say something a little bit about the distinction you made, which is a helpful one. I suppose I did have a lot of faith in the sense that you just described, 
very open to experience. I mean, that characterized most of my my childhood pre-adolescence. I was I was very open to to sports, to music, to to you know church going, to school, to to friends. Um, uh, really, really, really to pretty much everything, as far as I can recall. Um, so you know, lots and lots of faith in that sense. Um, and I did find you know, church going, although it was boring, I, you know, I was a child, but at some points, uh, it was also very nourishing. And I, I did get that sense of, of connection um, and, and, uh, and communion with something very important that I didn't quite understand. Uh, there was that sense. Um, and the, the ritual I was, I was for a brief time in a, an altar boy. Uh, for me, it was fun. It was like we were playing a game, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of layered expectation uh, on top of it that made it uncomfortable. It was, it was like, oh, I get to put on a costume and <laughs> process down the aisle. Oh, have fun. Um, uh, I'm sorry, you asked me a question. Where, 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 where am I going? What happens next, next for you? In, in uh, so you, you, I, I, uh, I started speaking as you were talking about adolescence and interest in in, in science. Right. So. Um, I suppose it must have been around uh, around like middle school when we started to get into just basic science. And uh, I can't, you know, I, I don't actually remember, but coming across the conception, uh, this is where I think my, my world got taken over more by beliefs and concepts. <laughs> ah. And I came across the, the concept of, uh, of atoms uh, and uh, indirect, indirect, uh, indirect processes of, of, of perception. It's like, well, if light is just a, a wavelength entering our eyes, how exactly is this picture of the world that we experience? How, how is our experience made up? And if you know, the physical constituents of our, our bodies are, and our minds are just, are just atoms, uh, and there's, you know, we've looked, there's, there's nothing else there, how, how, how does this all you know, fit together? Uh, and I can, I can vividly remember uh, one, I guess it was late afternoon, um, sitting out on, on my, on my deck in a, in a lawn chair reclining, just, uh, kind of mulling over, uh, the decomposition of, 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 of imagining the decomposition of my body and everything around me into atoms, just kind of, uh, imagining this and thinking where, where does it stop? Is there, is there something at the bottom of this? Is it, uh, and what does this mean for, for choice? I had this kind of, you know, uh, Newtonian like billiard ball, uh, understanding of, of, of physics. Um, but it really, it really, you know, kind of threw me for a loop and left me, uh, well, there's this, there's this, uh, there's a term, um, let's see if I can remember it. The, the distinction between, uh, the manifest, uh, image, uh, and, and the scientific or the, or the naturalistic image. I might be getting one of those terms wrong, but this, there's this world of lived experience. And then there's this, you know, this world of, uh, hypothesis and, and theory and formal modeling and how does one translate between the two and that was very very vexing it uh, it ate at me um, and I think that's around the time as well when I started to conceive of the religious activities I had less of that faith I guess I was closing down a bit just you know as a as a growing human um, and uh, and it stopped making sense and I, the openness wasn't there and so I stopped going I stopped getting that nourishment there anyway. No. So jumping ahead, perhaps, um, I'm interested in, in, in your 
contemplative practice background? How'd you get started? What do you do? What does it do for you? And what's the answer? What's the answer? (laughs) That's, that's rude, Dave. That's rude. Um, uh, so post recovery from, from depression, I was kind of at a, a dysthymic functional level of, of, of happiness, you could say. So I was, I was quite unhappy still, but you know, I was, I was, I was functioning, um, which is better than I was before. Um, and I, I was very interested, uh, you know, cause through the period of my depression, I was, you know, uh, reading a, a lot of philosophy, you know, I read Camus, uh, who was very unhelpful uh, <laughs> at that point. Um, I, but I, I came across Buddhist philosophy and they, they put a lot of emphasis on suffering. So I was like, yeah, that, that, uh, that resonates. <laughs> That's, that kind of speaks to me in this, in this, uh, in this state. Um, of course, while I was depressed, I didn't really have the energy to pursue it seriously. Um, but following that, um, I started to read up more just on basic Buddhist concepts of uh, dependent origination um, and the manufacturing of, of suffering out of psychological conditioning. Um, and that all seemed to speak pretty directly to what I had experienced, um, in terms of my own mental health. Um, and also philosophically, it, it seemed quite, uh, alluring. It, uh, it all hung together nicely, um, from a certain view. Um, and so I think the first time I actually, uh, did any kind of formal meditation was with a as uh, a Rinzai Zen sitting group at my, uh, at a university that was uh, pretty nearby to where I lived at the time. They had an interfaith chapel. Um, and there was a, uh, there was an Osho there, uh, who would come in and, uh, lead sits, uh, once a week. And it was 20 minutes, no, 30 minutes of sitting, uh, 10 minutes of walking and then another 20 minutes of sitting, uh, which was, I'm impressed that I was able to do it, uh, but I guess there was the pressure of social expectation. <laughs> what part of the world? Uh, this was in Victoria, uh, British Columbia. That's, that's okay. kind of my, my hometown. Um, and uh, the, the instruction was uh, just basic, basic uh, breath counting, uh, one, one through 10, repeat one through 10. Um, but for some reason, that first time uh, getting the instruction right from the right from the, the horse's mouth, from the, from, the, from the Osho in his formal robes. Um, I, was, I was really able to taste some, some concentration, some settledness, some, some stillness. And for even in that first sit, the, the ruminating habit of thought kind of faded into the background. And I was just with the breath, just with the count, just with the walking. Um, and there was a kind of, I remember the afterglow uh, quite distinctly, uh, just going like riding back on the bus to where I was living at the time, uh, going, huh, my mind is quieter and I'm more available. The colors seem brighter. <laughs> um, so that left quite an impact, but I didn't, uh, and I went back a few times, but I don't know, the, the force of habit was, was pretty strong. So I didn't actually start up a regular meditation practice. It was just, oh, that's, wow, that's, there's something there, something important. Um, do you want me to just keep rolling on? Well, I'm interested in um, perhaps a bit about your current sort of working um, spiritual framework. If, if, if you find yourself particularly aligned with one or, and, or what you've most benefited from. Sure. Um, 
I, uh, like I said before, you know, this, this, this kind of consuming desire to know what's true and how, how, how to live well, that's, that's resulted in me trying, uh, you know, any, a whole number of things, too many probably. Um, but, uh, at the moment, my current working framework is, uh, uh Shinzen Young's unified mindfulness uh, system, which I'm a teacher in training for, and I find it synoptic is a good word, uh, of everything that I've learned elsewhere. Um, you know, it's a, it's a system of, of concepts and terms, <laughs> um, as, as, as they all are. Uh, but it, uh, for one of those, it, it works pretty well, uh, to describe the territory. Uh, at least that's, that's what I find. And that the, the actual, the actual techniques are, are, are true to their historical counterparts, uh, in, in form and function, uh, though not using the, the traditional language and not attached to a specific religious denomination. Um, and if you're so inclined, what, um, I'm not sure a best word, what do you find is your growing edge? What are you most uh, enriched by or intrigued by or uh, grappling with? What, what, what's most uh, sort of, and it can change, I'm sure, but what's sort of central or focal to your practice these days? Hmm. Um, I suppose this word might just be a touchstone. So it's a, it's a it refers uh, to a cluster, I suppose, but, you know, in, in embodiment of various experiences or states, um, bringing that out into behavior, into thought, into action, word and deed, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very, it's, it's one thing to sit on a cushion and, uh, have wonderful experiences. Uh, it's quite another to take that with you from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep and have that positively affect everyone around you. That's, that's the leading edge. And it will be, uh, I think until I'm dead. So. I'm reminded this may, may not really, but I'm reminded of a, a title of, uh, one of Jack Cornfield's book. Um, I believe that the title is after the ecstasy, the laundry. <laughs> it's, yeah. Excellent book. <laughs> That's right. So the laundry, I suppose that's where my focus is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that might tie into the other uh, topic or, 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 or focus you had mentioned of um, a, a kind of naturalism. Um, say more how you mean that, and then maybe we'll, we'll go from there as you'd intended. Sure. Um, so <laughs> preparatory to this conversation, I, uh, I looked at the uh, Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy definition of naturalism, and uh, <laughs> the, the the summarizing paragraph at the top basically said, "Oh, naturalism—it's it's so broad. There basically aren't any philosophers these days who don't call themselves naturalists. It barely has any meaning. Uh, <laughs> so perhaps it's not the best term, but uh, basically, um, a It's 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 my it's my conviction, uh, right or wrong. Uh, I think it's right that um, any and all experiences that contemplatives have have had will have uh, are not uh, not in contradiction to the deliverances of the natural sciences uh, as they currently are or will be in the future. Um, is that is that helpful? I, I I get a sense from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't help myself from asking, 
have you had experiences that you have some uh, slippage between understanding that the experience suggests and our scientific uh, frameworks? Sure. Have you had stuff that you can't explain or don't have a scientific explanation for? Yeah, I suppose that's that's where um, where this comes in uh, as like a, a point of inquiry is that. Uh, Sure. Yeah, I've had I've, I've had I've had plenty of, of experiences on off the cushion spontaneously um, that uh, give, give uh, put put a lot of doubt on the common way in which we see ourselves uh, and the world. Um, that you say although... that reminds me of the William James line goes something to the effect of sort of thing which keeps us from effecting a premature closing of accounts with reality. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good phrase. <laughs> oh. um, I mean, I suppose I can, I can start off with kind of a, a touchstone experience that kind of convinced me once and for all, okay, this is, this is the most important thing uh, that I'm going, I'm going to follow this thread wherever it leads. Um, I was reading, um, uh, from the, the fundamental verses of, of the middle way, uh, Nagarjuna's uh, text, um, uh, uh, philosophy of, of emptiness, interdependence, and concept and mind dependence of experience. Um, that's also, also some metaphysics. You could interpret it phenomenologically. You could interpret it metaphysically. Most people do both. Um, but anyway, uh, I was reading Jay Garfield's uh, translation and commentary, and uh, it was, you know, at that point, the most difficult text I had ever grappled with. Uh, and I found I found my way struggling uh, through to the end. Um, and I, I can recall reading for maybe maybe about three hours, just straight, getting getting through it, kind of fixated uh, on it, and coming out uh, kind of kind of in a daze, uh, walking outside sitting down in a hammock and then uh any sense of separation between myself and external sights sounds uh that that dropped hmm. uh, and remained dropped for probably not more than a few seconds uh but uh but in that in that spare moment there was total relief uh I, I had never experienced at least, you know, not, not maybe when I was a baby, <laughs> but I don't remember that. Um, and so uh, from that point on, I, I was, I was convinced, all right, this, whatever that was, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm following for the rest of my life. Great. And uh, does, uh, naturalism or scientism uh, bump up against that uh, in opposition to it or that that's the thing I, I don't think it does uh, actually uh, although many people who have those kinds of experiences end up being alienated from the scientific mainstream I suppose you could say um, and not just that kind of experience of the the dropping away of, of separation I mean people who do uh, intensive contemplative practice or take certain chemical compounds have all kinds of, of, uh, of experiences of, of, of entities and realms 
their their body dissolving and reappearing you, you know any anything and everything that that can be imagined someone has had that experience uh and i guess where where the the rubber meets the road is that i think the the value the accessibility and the um encouragement for people to seek out these kind of life transformative experiences is um is hampered uh by a lack of communication between the scientific mainstream the general public that adheres to that and then the religious uh and spiritual communities that you know those are those are like two camps that really you know in in, in my opinion they should be getting together and, and working on this for you know mutual benefit but but don't for various reasons um yeah <laughs> um you can get uh, of course uh uh scientists who are uh meditation practitioners um you can get scientists who are uh believers of uh tradition one or another um you can get scientists who are in uh to use an over general way agnostic they they don't pretend to know uh, one way or another about some of the kinds of uh truths or suggestions or stories that get uh, typically labeled as spiritual or religious. And then you get some scientists who um, um, are kind of jerks <laughs> who decide they know what religion is. Uh, two of the heroes of the last century, uh, both uh, Watson and, and Crick, um, guys who figured out the structure of DNA and made some really ignorant pronouncements about religion. And so it gives me the impression that they consider themselves or they sort of take on this hero um, um, structure or, or identity that much of our culture has accorded to them. And on that basis, decide they're qualified to make statements about uh, religion and someone who's got a couple of graduate degrees and lifelong uh, investigation of uh, religious matters, it's just real clear to me, they don't know what they're talking about, but it doesn't stop them from making some pronouncements. So long story short, and sort of state the obvious, um, we can make of uh, scientism a dogmatic belief system. Um, and so it's always um, sort of a matter of how, not unlike the spirit you were talking earlier about, about, about faith and connection, whether our empiric practices, whether our going and looking, whether our careful objectivity is in the service of opening ourselves up to what's really happening, and affecting or allowing or uncovering a kind of connection with life and the world. Well, whether we end up making some sort of belief system out of it and decide our metaphysics and our physics and uh, like so many things, like religion itself. Again, religion is a, a Western word, but uh, we tend to, to apply it across cultures and centuries um, but like religion 
to my way of looking at it, and I hear it in much of what you were saying earlier, it's it's a um, sort of a, a treasure house of practices, of techniques, of ways to go and look. And there's lots, lots of stuff that, lots of phenomena that get tagged as religious, um, but also some songs and dances <laughs> in celebration of and pointing the way towards some of the realizations that those practices uh, afford for us, help us realize. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. And I guess, I guess the desire to have these sorts of conversations is just born of a uh, great disappointment and, uh, and, uh, and regret that, you know, these two, uh, these two efflorescences of, of humanity uh, don't intertwine uh, more often. And, you know, I'm, I'm very much influenced by Shinzen Young in this respect. He's a, he was an ordained Shingon monk um, and had decades of, of Zen practice. Uh, and all that time was also a, a science and math geek. And, you know, now at a venerable age is uh, doing serious neuroscience, um, all, all trying to make sense of all of this. Uh, so that's that's kind of a major a major inspiration for me certainly. It's a very different use of the word, but I'm reminded of the hyperbolic uh, 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 saying attributed to 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 some Zen folks that uh, awakening is the last great disappointment. <laughs> By which it's very much my sense that it is so natural. It is such a, a matter of, of a kind of sobriety and clarity and, oh, of course, <laughs> that uh, we can have all sorts of stories, uh, fan fantasies and uh, how special we're going to be. I remember Jack Cornfield again talking about uh, uh, he, he'd seen a, um, uh, a scripture, a, a polycanon, I think, suggestion that awakening can occur in, in seven days. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're just fully there. Mm -hmm. So he's all excited, but he finds himself planning his uh, enlightenment party. <laughs> <laughs> he's thinking about what he's going to do once he's awake, rather than, you know, allowing himself to be held and embraced by what's always already here. Well, Before we start making stuff up and celebrating yeah, seven seven days. That's that's right quick. The I think that's, that's from that's, I think that's from the the Satipatthana Sutta. It's it's a Buddhist okay. advertising, uh, and, <laughs> if, and it it goes something like, you know, and if if you should practice in this way wholeheartedly, uh, you know, you you will attain to the fruit of, and then it goes through the four stages and you know Theravada, the four paths. You, know, you shall attain to one of these, and if not, then if not that, then in two weeks, and if not that, then in a month, and if not that, then in a year, and then if not that, in seven years. <laughs> But basically, you know, if you give it your all. Yeah. And I'm also reminded, again, somewhat hyperbically stated, but very wholesome message that, that the path, the practice is wholesome in the beginning and it's wholesome in the middle and it's wholesome in the end. That um, um, you occasionally hear folks feeling daunted. What's the use? I, I'll never make it to the realize the goal it kind of doesn't matter 
the more we're honest and intimate and present, the better. It's it's all good. Certainly, yeah. There's um, there's a there's a I guess, I guess as well um, where this uh, intersects for me I, in in Buddhist communities or like communities of practice I've been a part of. There has been um, a tendency to kind of, uh, you know, oh, awakening that that lofty goal. Well, that's not for me, um, and and it's. Much like with the, the the lack of contact and and uh, and dialogue between uh, contemporary science and contemplative uh, practice, I, I find I'm I'm just so sad uh, because I, exactly as you said, it's good in the in the beginning, it's good in the middle, it's it's good in the end. Don't worry about how far you'll get. Just you know, if you know, find find those practices, find those communities that support you, uh, are wholesome, um, and lead to wholesome states of mind, wholesome actions, and just just go um yeah yeah anything further you want to touch on in today's talk today's conversation um well i'd like to hear what what you you seem to be uh, agreeing with me that there there isn't uh necessarily any contradiction or conflict between contemplative experience and uh contemporary science um in in my head this coheres uh pretty well um and actually there's some interesting explanatory work that modern cognitive science and neuroscientific frameworks can do in explaining contemplative phenomena i'm thinking of predictive processing and, you know, some other contemporary theories. Um, the, the work of uh, Ruben Lauconen uh, most recently, oh. which is a paper and an author you actually alerted me to reading that paper. Oh. It was like, huh. Yeah. All about the, the construction of experience from the scientific angle, whereas contemplative experience is largely focused around the construction of experience from the, the first person. Right. Right. Well, it's a, it's a huge topic and has a lot of sides. We've touched earlier on ways in which scientism can be its own sort of uh, dogmatic framework um, and at its healthy core is an open-minded practice, empirically grounded going and looking. So much of contemplative practice is all about, <laughs> I'm reminded of the uh, Kalama Sutta. We may have used this in the first talk um, where in rough paraphrase, uh, the Buddha is um, uh, looking to, to teach a, a community and the community says, look, we've had all these other teachers come through here and they all say they've got it. And how are we to regard you saying you've got it? You've got the answer, you've got the teaching. And the Buddha says, again, rough paraphrase, this, in fact, is the way it is, folks. But whatever you do, don't take my word for it. Go and look. So that kind of open-eyed, careful, and humble, healthy 
intimacy with life in this world. Is that science? Is that psychology? Is that religion? I'm old enough and overeducated enough to say, I don't care (laughs) how we label it. Let's get on with it. Um, I have had some experiences which get labeled psychic or paranormal. Um, And to me, again, in sort of the spirit of that William James quote, keep me humble, help me realize I don't know everything. I don't know of a science framework that has a ready uh, interpretation or categorization for those experiences. But it doesn't mean they're outside of nature. There's they, the, the, the natural science just hasn't found or looked at this. Here's a quick example. Um, I was doing some meditation early college. I was uh, uh, doing um, um, transcendental meditation using a a, um, a, um, a song, a, a, a word, a mantra, and letting it kind of escort you to where words, thoughts, phenomena come from, getting real quiet. And this picture comes to my mind of a... Um, uh, caduceus, a uh, medical symbol, the uh, kind with a, a staff with wings and two snakes. Only one of the snakes is missing. There's just one snake. And I'm thinking, well, that's wrong. <laughs> and the next thought is, and images aren't what this meditation style I'm doing is about. Let it go. Return to the mantra, get quiet, get upstairs have lunch, the mail person, mail carrier comes on top of a stack of mail is a brochure on the medical benefits of meditation. And on the front of it is a picture of a winged staff with a single snake. I saw that symbol in my meditation. So again, William James style, the sort of thing that keeps you humble, the sort of things that makes me know I don't know everything. Um, but I personally don't feel a um, um, requirement to, to say that's some kind of um, uh, non-scientific or some sort of realm of ex- phenomenon that, that science doesn't uh, apply to. We just don't know the science. We just don't know everything. And I don't know enough to say this next, but I get the impression you know, we were talking atoms earlier. Well, when we start getting to, to quarks and strings. <laughs> How much solid there is there? <laughs> Those guys are pretty humble in realizing we're still learning. How things are connected. How things can affect cause at a distance, et cetera, et cetera. How time is but another of the dimensions have something that's three quarters tall and one quarter time. And <laughs> what are they talking about? And then I love this. It's a little bit of an extension, but um, I'm, I'm fond of using it in conversations, especially online, um, where I use the illustration of uh, 
the way a, a flower looks to us and the way that flower looks when it's photographed with film that's sensitive to ultraviolet, you get target patterns in a lot of the flowers in ultraviolet. Bees can see ultraviolet. Moths and butterflies can see ultraviolet. They have co-evolved um, to get themselves uh, nourished, the, the insects and pollinated the, the plants. Um, but that's just an example of um, how uh, naturally uh, um, uh, inclined we are to, well, the phrase, you see what you get, you get what you see. Well, actually, there's more to it. <laughs> so we make our stories, we make our maps based on what we see. We can't not do that. We're wired to do that. But it can be so wholesome to know we don't see everything, to see we don't know everything. And for myself, that comes to expression as kind of um, embracing the understanding that all our phenomenal experience is a kind of poem. It's a kind of story. It works for us. We can't do without it. But we're in a position to be all the more appreciative and in awe of life, walking through a field of flowers, when we're aware of what a, a poetic, creative display our phenomenal experience actually is. So on the one hand, that's all kind of scientific. And on the other hand, it's all kind of poetry and art and uh, spiritual appreciation. You know, it uh, it just might be the, the the Greeks might have had it right. The the true, the good, and the beautiful might just it might just be one thing. <laughs> there we go. And at a minimum, their 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 invitation to go look. Yeah, I think uh, maybe maybe that's a good place to end it. Let's 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 go look. Let's let's find let's out. Let's go that's... look. <laughs> Great talking to you, Weston. Cheers, Dave. Take care.